Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Glad you're with us for this week's exciting venture as we uh, connect the dots between Jesus Christ as Lord and all the myriad of details in our lives. And uh, we're really, really excited uh, to uh, offer kind of a special podcast this week. Uh, we had a very special guest with us. We want to highlight her and let you uh, hear her heart. As We have a primary coming up on May the 3rd. Uh, which is next week, so we feel like this uh, podcast is also uh, very timely. And, you know, Andrew, I was uh, reading uh, a great quote here by Noah Webster, who uh, was one of our founding fathers, great, great leader and great man of God. Uh, And this is what he said, when you become entitled to exercise the right of voting for public officers, Let it be impressed on your mind that God commands you to choose for rulers, quote, just men who will rule in the fear of God. The preservation of a Republican government depends on the faithful discharge of this duty. So I I love this. You know, we've been given an incredible privilege as Americans. We get to select our leaders. Uh, We don't live in a dictatorship or a a, a tyrannical situation. Uh, We actually get to vote. And um, when you have that opportunity to vote, it is really a sacred duty. And the Bible counsels us, you know, we can't just vote for people who are, you know, uh, I deal with a lot of times union folks who say, basically, they tell me this is who you're going to vote for. Um, Well, that's not really how it should be. You know, we should be able to vote for uh, people who share our values. And I'm not picking on union folks. That happens all over. It doesn't matter. You know, you, you were raised a certain party or whatever. And so that's just how we vote. But, but for Christians, we have to connect the dots between what the Bible says about issues right. and, you know, uh, and, and how those issues are put into law or whatever. And I love what Webster says because he's directly quoting the scripture. We need to find godly people who rule in the fear of the Lord. And those people are hard to find. <laughs> Where are those people? <laughs> godly people who rule in the fear of the Lord. In the Lord. fear yeah. of the Lord. Yeah. You know, so in other words, there's a character qualification. Yeah. Uh, that is really, really important. And so to that end, yeah. uh, we had a candidate information night here at Living Stones a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we had a, a wonderful woman, Jennifer Ruth Green. She is running for the congressional seat number one in the state of Indiana, U.S. Uh, House of Representatives. And uh, what a delightful night we had just listening to her share uh, about her positions and her background and her faith in the Lord. I mean, it was it was an incredible night. Yeah. And, and, and you know, what we did was kind of not normal for churches. Right. Unfortunately, um, yeah. very, very little churches I know of will host different <laughs> uh, candidates, uh, let alone a national candidate, a federal government candidate. Uh, um, to come in and give a talk about you know, their values and views. So what would you say to people who kind of throw that separation of church and state at you? Yeah. You know? just, well, yeah, good point. Like, you know, I, maybe I'm more sensitive to this because having run for office before myself, yeah. you know, you're, when you're a candidate and you're passionate about what you believe and you want to get your ideas out there, which is all that we want in a Republican form of government, just equal playing field so people can share their ideas and then, then let people choose, right? Um, but the problem is uh, there aren't that many uh, live spots where you can gather people together, you know, and share your ideas. And so, number one, I feel like uh, the church has an, a very important role in who represents us because government was created by God. And we've talked about that on this podcast before. Government was created by God and officials report to God. They're his ministers, Romans chapter 13. So, 
So for the church not to be involved, uh, not in politicking, we don't want we don't want that. But we do want to uh, promote good candidates. We want to introduce good candidates, and we want to ask good questions uh, so that we know where these candidates stand. And many times, the issues that are super important to us are foundational. Us, we've talked about that issues of life, issues of marriage, issues of religious liberty. Um, those are foundational issues that dictate the health of an entire culture. And we've got to be able to ask those questions and, we, and get good answers from the people that are seeking to represent us. And so this whole notion of separation of church and state uh, is a half-truth. I think it's really designed by the, the, the secular folks to tell us Christians to s stay out of uh, government. That's their business. And, and we've already talked about this. To, to, to the degree that we buy into that lie, right. we all suffer. So Christians should be involved in government. There isn't a secularized version of separation of church and state because right. Jesus is Lord over all of it. So you can't right. separate uh, Jesus from government. But we do understand that we do have different institutions, family, church, and state, and those are institutionally separated. So we're not violating institutional separations, but we're simply promoting righteousness in the public square. The way I think about that is, you know, the original idea of separation of church and state, the separation is kind of one way. You're really, you know, Thomas Jefferson, who coined that phrase, is really saying the government should not infringe on religion and churches. Right. So the separation is more is, is more saying the state can't come and tell you what's right and what to believe and so forth. Exactly. But the other way of the, the impact and the influence, I mean, every... Every governmental policy or governmental system is influenced by religion. When we're not, you might because, not be because it comes from a worldview. Comes from a worldview, so it's impossible to truly separate yeah. any government policy from any religion. Yeah. So I think about sometimes, like I tell my parents, I might tell my kids, like you can't be doing this, and they're like, okay, and then. Um, and then, no, they, they would tell me what to do. I'm like, no, I, no, no, your son, you can't tell me what to do. I'm, I'm your dad, dad, right? And later I tell them what to do. And they're like, wait a second. That doesn't, why, why aren't we equal? I'm like, no, it's because I'm the dad. I get to tell you what to do. You don't get to tell me what to do. So right? there are legitimate spheres of authority. Yes, absolutely. I think it's similarly, I think we have totally twisted that around. Yeah, and we have government infringing on religion left and right. And we have the religious body cowering fear because we don't want to, upset people and that's not the original intent no. in my opinion no so i i would encourage you to uh uh as pastors or as, as christians to encourage the use of your church facility to host uh information nights to invite candidates out now i did something this time you know uh because it's a primary and we we know kind of the stance of certain people on certain issues that are already disqualified uh from getting our support because they they majorly miss issues that are the bible is very clear about so we're not trying to promote one candidate over another but we are trying to find a candidate as the word says who a just man or woman who rules in the fear of the lord and uh, and try to give those folks an opportunity to share their ideas and so it was a question and answer night what, what you're going to see on this video is um just the opening remarks um from jennifer ruth green It'll give you a feel for who she is, for what she believes, for what her values are, and for really for what she would like to accomplish should she be given the, the uh, privilege of serving the people in, in Congressional District 1. Um, and then uh, we'll, we'll be back uh, to follow up. But I think what you're going to find is a woman who is bold, uh, she's competent, uh, and she is absolutely uh, clear about her passion for the Lord and her desire to honor him. So here's Jennifer Ruth Green. We hope you enjoy her. Well, I am really excited tonight, um, having had multiple 
opportunities to, uh, to meet Jennifer Ruth Green. I feel like we have an incredible opportunity in uh, Congressional District 1 to really flip the page here and start a whole new, uh, whole new cycle of good government in Lake County, which we, the good government in Lake County don't usually go together hand in, hand in glove. Um, but I sure appreciate Jennifer Ruth Green. She has an amazing list of endorsements that she's picking up. I'll, I'll mention some of those. Uh, Representative Julie Altoff, our own uh, uh, state representative from District 19. Representative Ed Soliday, uh, Mayor Brian Snedeker from Hobart. The NRA, Michael Rich, Maryville Police Commissioner. Attorney General Todd Rakita. Uh, she has the Indiana Right to Life endorsement as well as the National Susan B. Anthony List endorsement. Senator Ed Charbonneau. And uh, some of you may have seen her recent appearance on uh, the Laura Ingram angle. Uh, if you didn't, we have a little clip here we would like to, uh, to play. So uh, if you'll go ahead and show that, if we can dim the lights, I think you'll enjoy this. One congressional candidate quoted in that piece, Jennifer Ruth Green, joins us now. Jennifer Ruth, good to see you. Now, first of all, I want to go back to what was said in the angle tonight about Democrats believing that African-Americans don't have apparently the capacity to get voter ID at the same level as others. Your reaction to that first off. Wow. In this country, we need IDs for literally everything. And it's honestly insulting to say that black Americans can't get IDs, won't get them. It's just a Trojan horse and another hat trick to continue to politicize race that we consistently see from the top and the elites and the Democrats consistently striving to use race to pander. They're not focused on the clear things like election integrity. They're just focused on getting Democrats elected and it's shameful. All right. Well, I don't know about you, but I'd like to see her smiling face representing us on a regular basis on Fox News and other media outlets. So will you stand to your feet and put your hands together? Let's give Jennifer Ruth Green a warm welcome to here at Libby Sounds. Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you very much. That had to be exciting, first of all, to uh, get on national television like that you you were calm cool and collected you look like a pro i mean that was amazing <laughs> and that was a little snippet uh, but you had some it amazing was. things to say so just I'm a little quick tip if you're ever watching me and the more i blink the more i'm thinking so if you ever watch that <laughs> clip again i'm like somebody was like do you need help what are you what are you morse coding to us and i was like no i'm just heavy in thought so just so you know later on like that's what i do and i think cool calm collected but also heavy in thought so yeah. Well, and I just want to say, too, we, we've been watching. You've been incredibly busy crisscrossing the district, oh, meeting with all kinds of folks. Yeah. And I just want to say we're incredibly grateful that you take time to be with us tonight. Oh, it's and, an uh, honor. Thank you so much. And I share with Jennifer Ruth. I really wanted her. I wanted this night to be about her being able to really share what's on her heart, express what needs she has as a candidate uh, and really fashion a night, you know, for her. So um, I. I'm going to turn it over to you right now and oh, just let you. you do that. Share your heart. And <laughs> thank then just you so be much. ready. At, at the end of our time, uh, we're going to have some question and answer opportunities. So I just want to encourage you, if you've got some great questions uh, in your heart or mind, uh, ask them and we'll see how many times she blinks at us as her, <laughs> as her brain is working feverishly. All right. The harder the question, the more blinking it is. It is. <laughs> so anyway, I'll turn it over to you. Well, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to come out. I know what it takes, you know, as far as time goes and coming out on a weeknight. 
Um, but Pastor Ron, man, he's a guy that loves God, loves others, and serves both. Right? Super easy. It's super easy to just to just follow someone like that. And so just such a testimony of loving the community and wanting to, to take care of um, people in many different ways, spiritually, emotionally, physically, um, and now just striving to help Christians understand our role in government. So when it, when it comes to me, I just want to share a little bit tonight about who I am. Um, and at the end of the night, what I would love for you to say is, hey, I know who she is. I know how she'll orchestrate her governance. I know how she'll treat me and respond to me. Um, and I want you to know me. So I welcome you to ask you know, any questions, and I want to be honest with you, and I want to be open with you. And so that's my desire tonight. I want you to know me. First and foremost, the most important thing that I want to talk to you about, uh, just like Pete said, in the order of life, I'm a Christian. I got saved when I was nine years old at a Christian camp, Wolf Mountain Christian Camp in California. And uh, Andy Ormond was her name. She was a 16-year-old who gave up her entire summer to work with grade school girls and uh, help us facilitate that week-long of camp that we had. And so she stayed for the whole summer, but uh, it was right before dusk. I remember that she talked to me about you know, the realities of eternity and uh, asked me you know, if, if, if I died, if I knew I would go to heaven, if I knew about sin, if I knew about all of those things. And I'd heard about them. I'd have been in church, but uh, I hadn't heard the gospel with clarity. And so she explained the gospel with clarity, and that's when I trusted Christ to save me. And so it's been an amazing day for me. And I believe that it's important that you have a day of salvation, and that's the day where you get God. But then there's a day of surrender, and that's the day where God gets you. And uh, I remember when I was 22 years old, I remember that uh, God was working on my heart, and he just said, you know, Jennifer Ruth, I want you to go into vocational full-time Christian ministry. And I'll share a little bit about my story, but I was a full-time federal agent working in the Air Force in Los Angeles. And I remember thinking, but Lord, you know, I'm, I'm 26, 27 years old, and I'm making good money, and I could work hard and give that money to you for missions, and I'll give more generously to missions, and I'll do whatever it is you want, but I'm far better off working and giving. And Lord said, I want you. And so I remember distinctly just getting on my knees during a church invitation and asking the Lord, Lord, if you'll have me, then yes, I will. And so that's when I committed my life to the Lord, and that was my day of surrender. And I remember that, and it was a very sweet day for me because I'm just humbled that God would even use me. And so since then, God's continued to use me, and I strongly believe that this call to run for Congress is a burden of mine, a burden that God has placed in me. And uh, I remember I, I, you know, I, I came out here in 2013, First Baptist Church of Hammond is where I go, and Pastor John Wilkerson came from Los Angeles and uh, Long Beach, actually, actually. And so during the 2020 election cycle, he was just preaching one day, and he just said, you know what, the government can complicate your life very quickly. And he said, we need Christians in Congress. And I remember thinking and praying, Lord, whoever that's for, I pray that you would get them and get them quickly. <laughs> and I pray that they would respond and that they would say yes. And then I think it was on to the next prayer, whatever it was. And then I told pastor, you know, I told him, I said, hey, pastor, pastor Wilkerson, I, I feel like every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, you just kept saying that. And that's all you preached about. And he said, Jennifer Ruth, I probably said that one time. <laughs> and it's probably the Holy Spirit calling you and just letting you know. Yeah. And so in striving to, to do this, um, there was no big, clear um, I want to be in Congress for me, but really at the end of the day, just two small, very niche things. 
One, I feel like as a military member, I wasn't represented. And then two, as a conservative, I feel like I wasn't represented. And I firmly believe that the power of God rests on a country that follows those Second Chronicles 7, 14 principles, where he says, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and repent from their sin, you know, then I will hear from heaven, um, heal your land. There's more. There's a loose paraphrase in there. There are a couple more things, but, but that's what God says to us. And I believe that the power and protection of God is so much of what we need. And I can't imagine living in a world where we don't have his authority in our lives or his opportunity to govern what we do. And so that's my desire. I just want to be a voice for biblical values to share and serve in the country's highest role for the sake of having God's voice in that place. I think we're punching holes in the darkness and that's what we get the chance to do. And that's what this job is. So a little bit of uh, background to this call and then I'll go into my story. But uh, after pastor gave kind of that charge and, you know, I told the Lord, whoever it's for, you know, get them. Well, I got continued to work in my heart. And um, one day I was talking to my dad and, and I, you know, he just called me and I said, hey, Papa, how are you? And he said, good. And we started talking and then out of nowhere, I'd never said anything. He just said, hey, I think you should run for office. Wow. And I said, really? Why? And he said, you have the resume and the acumen and I think you'd be good at it. And I said, okay. And so that was just kind of the clincher that the Lord used to help me uh, just solidify that this was my responsibility. And so I don't have any desire to be famous. I just want to be faithful. And I pray that God would find me faithful to the calling that he's given me to represent him. And so at the very beginning of this race, I shared with my team two things. Anybody who wants to join our team or anybody that we're connecting with, I just said, these are our two goals. Number one, honor God. Number two, leave with our integrity. And I said, what you will not find is win at all costs. What you will not find is grind and throw people under the bus or strive to play some sort of game or try to position and posture. I said, those are our two goals, honor God and leave with our integrity. And as long as we do those two things, we will win. Does that mean we win at the polls? I don't know. Polling looks good, but does, is that what that means? No. All that means is that God will be glorified, and that's my desire. So a little bit about me. Um, I come from a large family. I'm the baby of six. My parents have been married 52 years. My dad's from Jersey. My mom's from the Philippines. Uh, my dad studied Russian in order to get some strategic opportunities for him as a, just as an employee, and that was his desire. And so they wanted us to learn another language. And my mom said, well, learning Tagalog isn't going to be as practical on a large scale basis. So every Saturday from second grade to 10th grade, they sent us to Japanese school. So we studied Japanese language and culture, my siblings and I. And then uh, I got the chance to minor in college and I studied French in high school. And so I knew that I wanted to study languages. I wanted to travel the world and I wanted to join the military. Both of my grandfather served in World War II. My father served in Vietnam. And uh, I served in combat as an operation, in Operation Iraqi Freedom uh, as a counterintelligence agent. And uh, my responsibility was to vet and recruit spies. So third generation combat veteran knew what I wanted to do in the military. And so heard about the Air Force Academy and was fortunate enough to get a nomination. So while there, I studied international relations focused on Asia and studied China, Japan, the Korean Peninsula and India. And so we focused on all of those geopolitical aspects and how the military could be used and has been used in those arenas. 
Then I had a chance encounter with Lieutenant Colonel Lee Archer. He was an original Tuskegee Airman. And essentially, he encouraged me to fly. The Tuskegee Airmen were the first black pilots uh, in the military. And so having the opportunity to be there and being encouraged to fly is what led me to fly. So I started flying for a couple years, and then I transitioned and became a federal agent, uh, deployed to Baghdad. And uh, when I came back, took a nuclear assignment with the Air Force. And then shortly thereafter, after 12 years of active duty, I joined the Air National Guard. So that's the one week in a month, two weeks a year. And I currently serve as a lieutenant colonel and a cyber operations officer. Um, and my responsibility is to organize, train, and equip our people out in Fort Wayne, where I am one week in a month, two weeks a year. So I equip our team for war, and it's an honor to serve those people. And on the civilian side, I'm a flight instructor, commercial pilot, developed a nonprofit uh, to develop and serve missionaries through aviation. It's called Missionero Pipeline. And uh, for those of you that speak Spanish, Misionero is the word for missionary in Spanish, and then we, we spell it A-E-R-O, so our mission is aerospace. And so it's an opportunity for us to take young people as young as, young as fifth grade and introduce them in this pipeline to be able to prepare them to serve the Lord in that unique way. And so that's been my burden for the last five years, and uh, God's been blessing. And so here we are, um, serving my country, uh, serving my community, serving my church, and just loving life. And then God gives me this unique call. Well, one of the things that uh, I immediately experienced was fear and dread. You know, how do you run for Congress? What does that look like? You know, you could just literally put your name on a ballot and then, at, you know, at some point somebody's going to either vote for you or not and you don't have to do anything. But so we prayed and asked God to help us build a team. And so God has helped us to build a strategic team around us, a team, uh, you know, strategic advisors who understand what it takes to run a congressional race, a finance director who helps us gain finances in Indiana, a national fundraiser down in Texas who helps us gain uh, national opportunities, somebody who helps us with our media and our social media, uh, and somebody who, you know, people who schedule my time. And we have Ashley here tonight. She's my campaign manager and is helping with our get out the vote process. And so collectively, we've, God has helped us design a first-class team of his efforts. Um, and I'm proud to, to, you know, excited to announce tonight that um, we've just gleaned a status called Young Guns. And Young Guns is a, is a, a status on the Republican um, fundraising side where you've exceeded the quarter of a million dollar mark. And so we praise God that people have given sacrificially to help us. And by God's grace, now here we are uh, with the Young Guns badge. I asked if I get like a, you know, like, I don't know, it sounds like sort of Western. Like, do I get like a, you know, like a hat or a, they're like, no, we put your name on a piece of paper and send it out to the media. And I was like, oh, all right. But so, so that's exciting. And that's all by the grace of God. So I just, just want oh, to, sure. but the fundraising obviously is critically important. How many of you received any of her mailings in the last few weeks? I've seen them impressive. And, uh, and what I love is actually picking up something from a congressional candidate where I'm going, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like resonating with me. And that doesn't often happen in District 1. So awesome stuff. And, and we're thrilled that uh, you're getting good traction on that. I know thank there's you. never enough, and we'll talk about that later, but, but that you're up to I great I appreciate start. that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. We definitely do have a good team that takes, uh, takes the vision and puts it out there. So, so that's a little bit about the team. That's about the race. That's about, uh, you know, my history and my background. But I do want to be able to take the opportunity to share, you know, in essence, what I believe about government. And there are just a couple of principles. I'm a strict constitutionalist, and I believe that the Constitution doesn't need to be rewritten. It just needs to be reread. And we had this social experiment over 200 years ago whereby 
There were people who wrote down and said, hey, this is what, uh, this is what the country should stand for, and this is what it should look like. And, in that, and since that time, we had the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, and then we had 17 additionals for a total of 27 amendments. And those amendments have helped us to govern this great nation. And when we look at a country that, you know, exceeded your, you know, Brexit 1776, right? We left them, and now here we are, started anew, and now we have the opportunity to be a world power in so many different areas. Military, finance, spending, economies, all of these things. And so I think the plan in and of itself was well written. And so as a strict constitutionalist, I believe that the way it was written must just be interpreted as such. And then also I'm a federalist. By that I mean a style of governance where the federal government and the state government are separate, right? So the executive power doesn't tell the governor what to do. Uh, and so the governor can determine what's best for their states. And the reason I believe that there has to be that split is for a couple of reasons. One, I believe that those closest to the problem are the ones best to solve it. Yes. So you know best what your children needs in school, your children's need in school. You know best about their individual health freedom. You know best about what the subjects are that, that, that or the subjectivity of education that you want to teach them about. You know those things. And so a one-size-fits-all isn't the best solution most times. And so when I yeah, think about, okay. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that uh, sometimes the government overreach is due to this loss of federalism, yeah. um, you know, and I'll just, just take a quick thought process when we look at masks, right? If we had a federal mandate for masks in Montana, where there's, let's say one person per square mile for safety, everyone has to wear a mask. But Montana is different from LA, which is different from New York. So we can just see in that one instance, very clearly just thinking it quickly, a one size fits all approach isn't always the best. And so federalist style of governance, a constitutionalist, I also believe that a free market economy encourages technology, encourages innovation, encourages opportunities, and creates growth across our country. And so I think technology is important, but the technology will meet the need, which will meet the pricing, which will meet the demand, uh, and that helps us. And I think it's a, an interesting thing. Um, I think a free market economy helps us be accountable for our choices. So why do I say that? Well, back in the day, if you look at Europe, they had this you know, kind of bourgeoisie, right? The, the, the rich people and the poor people, and they were classes that they kind of divided us into. And so they would, you would either be rich or poor, and that was your station in life. Well, with a free market economy, you have the opportunity to be born rich or be born poor and die the opposite. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you are accountable for your choices. You're accountable for how you execute your money. You're accountable for what you, uh, what you build to people. You're accountable for if your business fails. You're accountable. And so I think sometimes when we have this continuous handout policy, we fail because people aren't accountable for their choices. They can do whatever they want and still uh, live the, their best lives. And so I think there has to be some accountability, and I think free market economies help us with that. Another philosophy that I have in governance is that we should be focused on giving people a hand up and not a hand out. Yeah. And I think, I think I'm probably preaching to the choir, it sounds like, but that's a clear focal point for me. I think the efficacy of government should be measured not by the number of people that they help, but the number of people that stop needing their help. That's good. Amen. Because if you evaluate things that way, then you are actively taking care of people. 
So that's, those are some of the philosophies that I view the government. I don't believe in big government. I believe in small government. And I believe that the government should only do for people the things that they can't do for themselves. And that's the way the Constitution was written. We had 13 colonies that eventually, you know, initially had all of their militias. That's where the Guard comes in, the Air National Guard, the Guard. And so that's that history. And so they all had their governors. They all had their own styles. They all had their own currency. But then we had the United States of America. And so the government in and of itself is only the federal government supposed to do for people what people can't do for themselves. So when we think about interstate commerce, when we think about interstate railways, when we think about defense of our borders, when we think about national security, those are the things that the government should worry about. And I would argue, I don't want to get too deep into things, I mean, maybe in Q&A time, but I would argue that if our government at the 30,000 foot level is so focused on what's going on in your individual houses, they don't have time to worry about the other things that they should be worrying about. So, so those, are, those are my governance principles. And that's how I view the government, and that's how I want to continue to uh, strive, if given the opportunity, to execute the authorities at that level. Now I want to tell you a little bit about me before I open it up to Pastor, open it up for some Q&A. I'm a Christian first and foremost. So when I make decisions, I want to know, is it legal, moral, and ethical? I want to say that my first and foremost priority is to represent Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ gave a clear example, his sinless testimony throughout the Gospels, even the precursors where we have, you know, his appearances, the Christophanies in the Old Testament. And so I'm just a strong believer that God set an example for us. And every life question that needs to be answered is answered in some way in God's principles, precepts, or commandments. And so with the Bible as the guiding book, the Bible as the sole authority for my life, that's my desired construct for conduct. Number two, I want to be a servant leader. I don't want to ask people something to do something that I wouldn't do myself. And just thinking through, you know, Pete earlier, he was sharing an example of how he as a businessman said, hey, I could charge whatever I want, but I'm a part of this community and it matters how much I pay in taxes. And, you know, we have Tony here. Tony's a businessman and he understands the same principles. And so wanting to serve the community in that way is incredibly um, impactful because I want to recognize that I'm accountable too for the choices I make. I don't want to be an elitist. I don't want to be so far separated that the choices I make are for the other people. So one, I want to represent Jesus Christ. Two, I want to be, uh, I want to lead by example. Three, I want, three, I want to be a servant leader. And that's somebody who understands that it's not my job to be at the top. If you look at an inverted triangle, I would say that's the responsibility. I'm at the bottom and it's my responsibility to eliminate distractions. That's what a leader does. Your job and your desire as a citizen is to take care of your family. It's to work hard. It's to make sure your bills are paid. It's to make sure your taxes are paid. It's to make sure that you can do what you want to do with your money and with, within the, the, the bounds of the law. And it's my responsibility to make sure you do that. But when we have these continuous infiltrations by the government, those are distractions. When we have things that we have to deal with that are outside of your purview, that's where the government should help. But they shouldn't be all in our business trying to figure out how we can complicate things. And so in my opinion, being a servant leader means that it's my responsibility to just help you focus on only the things that you can do by doing only the things that I can do. Number four, I want to be a customized leader. A customized leader 
to me, is a principle that helps me understand that there are 780,000 people in this district, and therefore 780,000 reasons why I should get to know that a one-size-fits-all approach isn't the best. Even for those of you who have children, how many of you have children here? A lot of people. And you know that the way you love one is not the same way another one needs to be loved. The way you discipline one is the same way that you, you know, want to discipline another. When I was little, my, you know, we, we got spanked with a belt. And uh, my sister, just at the, the, like my dad would say, go get the belt. And she was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, that's, that's Jubilee. And so I got the belt. And I remember thinking one time, I was just so brazen. Something's wrong with me. I was so brazen. And he, my dad spanked me. And I think I was like six or seven. And I just remember thinking, like, that don't hurt. <laughs> and then, uh, no, filterless Jennifer Ruth, out it comes. And I just said, that don't hurt. And so, yeah, so I got it. I got it worse. But uh, at the end of the day, the belt had a different impact on Jubilee than it did on Jennifer Ruth. And so we're different. And so they disciplined us different. They loved us the same, but they loved us in a different way. And so I think it's important to understand how to connect with people so that you can understand how you can serve them best. I don't believe in leadership by, uh, you know, by, by communal, like, thought processes, right? These are the principles. And it's not whoever writes in first or whoever writes in the most or whatever it is. It's, it's a community approach where we figure out what works best based on the 780,000 people we represent. And then lastly, don't be a jerk. I don't want to be a jerk. <laughs> and sometimes the, the jerkiest move, right? I, you know, I'm in the military and um, I tell my team as a leader, I just say, don't walk on the grass. And they say, Colonel Green, there's no rule that you can't walk on the grass. And I said, I know, there's no rule that you can't walk on the grass. And they say, well, if we're running late, it's just an easier pathway to go from A to B without having to go all the way around. And I said, I understand that. I said, but think about the fact that it's somebody's sole job to do the landscape on this base. And it is their livelihood to make sure that this landscape looks great. And because of that, it's their desire to make sure that their work looks good. And because it's easier for you or because it's better for you or because it makes it more simple for you, you feel like, ah, I'm going to walk on the grass. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> Don't walk on the grass. And so the principle comes across. And I feel like to me, that sentiment means I need to be reachable and I need to be available. And I need to make sure that I take care of God. I need to take, take care of my family. But also, I need to take care of my responsibilities in that order. And so, to that end, I want to make sure that I can answer any question. I want to make sure that I have a clear why. And the why is not because a PAC paid me, or because a lobbyist said they would give us money for a road, or because of XYZ. The reason is because of the principles that I've already laid out before you. And so, to be accountable, I think, is one of the biggest things I want to do. And not being a jerk requires me to be accountable. And so if at any time, any of those 10 principles that I've shared, five for governance, five for my personal life, if I do not live up to those, I would ask that you would call me out on it, publicly, privately, whatever it may be, because that's the promise I make to you. People say, hey, Jennifer Ruth, what are you going to do in the first year? What are you going to bring back? What promises can you make to us? And I can just say, by the grace of God, I promise you those 10 things aren't going to change. I can't promise you anything else other than who I am, and that's what I give you. Thank you. Well, wow. We hope you guys enjoyed that. And yeah, and I hope it hit you the same way it hit me. You don't find many candidates running for a national office that have that kind of 
outspoken boldness for Christ, number one. But I hope what you what you picked up too is um, she's very articulate. She uh, is up on the issues. Um, she's very clear about what she'd like to accomplish. Uh, and I'm just excited because I feel like we have a really, really solid candidate, not the only candidate, but a really, really solid candidate that we'd like to introduce you to and, uh, and, and encourage you to give her consideration, give her choice. No, absolutely. And I, I like to use this opportunity to inspire other people who have a call to to in in the governing realm, yep. in the stewardship realm of our government and who say, who look at this interview and say, you know what, you know. I can do it. I have that call. I can do it too, you know? Absolutely. Uh, and there's pathway and there's platform to engage, you know, people who fear God and says, I want to make a difference in righteousness. Yep. So. Yep. And that's what our public square ministry is committed to. Our, our ministry is committed to promoting righteousness in the public square. And, um, and so we're going to be doing, as we ramp up to the general elections, you're going to be hopefully seeing some uh, other events here at Living Stones where we're simply providing a public forum for discussion, sharing of ideas, asking questions. And we think all of that is a huge part in a healthy uh, civic you know, environment in a nation and it promotes uh, a healthy government. So anyway, keep keep it, keep it us posted or keep posted. We'll keep you posted. We're going to have a lot of those coming up as, uh, as the general election approaches in November. So thank you for watching. Uh, next week, we're going to be back kicking off a brand new series that we started at Living Stones this week called Hosting the Holy Spirit. Uh, Pastor Andrew and I are going to be fleshing that out and, uh, and talking about some powerful principles there. We hope you'll really enjoy it. And the goal of that is obviously to help us be filled with the Spirit, hosting the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, and then you, and then allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us powerfully uh, as we go about our, our business and have His business in the public arena. So tune in next week. Until then, have an amazing, amazing week this week, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week.